The band, R.E.M., originally released the song Everybody Hurts in 1992. It's kind of atypical, straightforward lyrics for a band, you know? Bands don't usually, like, openly give their message. It's interesting because it's so used to a message not being given directly that there's all kinds of stuff on the internet about what the song Everybody Hurts means. But it actually means the straightforward message. They credit the drummer of the band for writing the song, though they all did it together. And and, uh, it was really to deal with the fact that so many people are in pain and really young people especially were in such pain and such turmoil going on inside of their lives and the, and and that we needed to acknowledge that idea that everybody hurts that they're suffering the song starts with these lyrics when your day is long and the night the night is yours alone and when you're sure you've had enough Of this life. Well hang on. Don't let yourself go. Because everybody hurts. Because everybody cries. Sometimes. R.E.M. is trying to tackle the tough issue of human suffering. And I got to tell you we need to give them some credit for that. We need to give R.E.M. some credit for, for trying to tackle this. But I don't think that we should leave it to bands like R.E.M. alone. I think that the reality is, is the church needs to begin to develop a theology of suffering. The church nowadays has a theology of blessing. But we don't have a good theology of suffering. This theology of God's gracious blessing isn't completely wrong. It's not completely wrong. There are a lot of things in it that are true. But the blessings of God do not exist in a vacuum. Right now, as Christian and Missionary Alliance Church, we have a president, John Stumbo, who believes that the suffering that he endured with a really freaky disease, what paralyzed his throat, he ended up having to be fed through a tube, he almost died. He believes that God was using that to prepare him for where he's at right now, sitting in the president's chair. It's not odd that people don't understand suffering and God's redemptive plan. Look at Job. And you need to be careful when you read the book of Job. Most of what Job's friends say isn't what God would have us to do. God corrects that at the end. I, I've always had people tell me, well, it says in Job chapter da 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 and I'm like, yeah, but that's one of Job's friends talking and God says they're full of it. <laughs> Right? We need to be careful. There's stuff in the Bible that is how we're not supposed to do as well as how we're supposed to do. But look at Job's wife. Job's suffering. Kids are dead. He's got boils. All these things are going on. What's Job's wife say? 
Curse God and die. Just curse God and die. So it's not, it's not uncommon that people don't understand suffering. It's not an uncommon thing. However, I believe the author of Hebrews wants us to understand this because under the inspiration of the Spirit, and you may be wondering, let me just give you a little segue here real quick. Not a segue, a little sidebar note. You may be wondering why I always say the author of Hebrews. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. Some people would say that Paul wrote it, but there is no definitive proof that Paul was the author of Hebrews. So that's why I always say the author of Hebrews. Okay? But the author of Hebrews, he shares, or he or she, we don't even know, it could have been a woman. I know that probably blows us away. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, whoever this author was, uh, wrote to us to, to point out the, the fact that suffering has a vital role in the life of the church, in the life of every believer, and in the ministry of Christ. So let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. And we'll read there together. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. You may be reading from another translation. That's okay. They're all just translations. We're all dealing with translations. You know, some people say, well, the King James Version of the Bible, it's the authorized version. Uh, yeah, authorized by the Anglican Church. <laughs> Not by Jesus. Jesus didn't speak Old English. He spoke Greek and Aramaic. So, anyhow, Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 9. But we see him, and this is Jesus it's talking about, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels namely jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of god he might taste death for everyone for it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. Saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today and we ask you to speak in ways that will connect this vital truth to us. Lord, you know this is a tough message because you're the one who authored it. So we ask by your spirit that you would speak to your people and that everything that happens in this place today would bring glory and honor to you and it's in jesus name we pray and god's people said amen so here in this passage of scripture we have this picture of a suffering servant jesus christ some people would refer to jesus as a man of constant sorrows i know i know you guys thought that was oh brother where art thou 
<laughs> but, uh, you know, this, this suffering, the affliction, this, we have this. And the Scripture tells us that the earthly suffering of Jesus is a key reason that He is crowned with glory and honor. We see that there in verse 9. But we see Him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor, and also suffering. No, because of the suffering of death. Because of the suffering of death. Think about that. Think about that. Jesus is crowned with glory and honor because of suffering. I couldn't make this stuff up. It's right there in the scriptures. It it seems to me far-fetched to say the reason that Jesus is crowned with glory and honor is because of suffering. Because I would say He was crowned with glory and honor because He's Jesus. But the Scriptures say it. Because of suffering, He is crowned with glory and honor. And and that, that just blows my mind. I mean, basically, Jesus stepped down out of the splendor and majesty of heaven to enter into the fray of humanity. He came down to get into your mess. To get into my mess. He sees the struggles that you're having. He sees your struggle with drugs or with alcohol or with pornography or with anger issues. He sees the the marriage issues that are going on. He sees the child rearing issues that are going on. He sees your struggle with your boss at work. We could go on and on. He sees the struggle that you have with cancer or the flu. And he comes down and he steps into this with us. He enters into the fray. He doesn't stay aloof. He doesn't say, oh guys, just suck it up and get through it. No, he comes down and joins in. This placed him lower than the angels for a little while. I'm going to say something that's going to blow your mind. Just shout it out real quick. It's an easy answer. What is Satan? Say it louder. What is Satan? An angel. And he came down lower than the angels. During the temptation... Out in the wilderness, Satan said, bow down and worship me and I'll give you all of this. Everything you see, it'll all be yours. And people say, yeah, Satan couldn't offer that. Uh, Jesus didn't say that he couldn't offer it. It was his to offer. We, as fallen human beings, gave authority to rule over the earth to Satan when we fell in the garden. And Jesus came down. I mean, this goes back to the first prophecy of the coming of Jesus Christ. The first prophecy of the coming of Jesus Christ is in Genesis chapter 3. comes from the very mouth of the Father. And I shall put enmity between you and and the woman and between her seed and your seed. He's talking to Satan here. He shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. Think about that. 
Satan bruised his heel. Didn't he? He entered into the fray fully man. Yet somehow mysteriously still fully God. Through his suffering though, his substitutionary and his suffering excuse me, and his substitutionary sacrifice, he was crowned with eternal glory. Thus, Jesus' suffering brought the incarnation, his earthly incarnation, to a place of perfection. Jesus' suffering brought his incarnation to a place of perfection. Look there in verse 10. For it was fitting that he whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. This should just be, your mind should be, you know how you see it on the commercials, you know, mind blown. You know, it's just, it's, it's amazing to me. Here's why it's amazing. God's plan in the redemption of mankind wasn't to eradicate suffering. That wasn't his plan. Instead, God chose to enter the suffering of his creation in order to redeem it. Many Christians want to see suffering eliminated completely and we come up with a theology that says this, suffering is not a part of God's will or plan. I can't tell you how many Christians I've heard say that. Suffering is not a part of God's will or plan. If they haven't said the words out loud, they certainly live like suffering is not a part of God's will or plan. Rather than seek a biblical understanding of the place of suffering in this grand design of of God that He's laid out, Christians fill people with a false hope that to become a believer in Jesus means that everything's going to be great. But it's not! (laughs) Right? Here's the lie that people tell. Come to Jesus Christ and He will give you lasting joy, peace, happiness, and life fulfillment. We call that the prosperity gospel. Come to Jesus and everything's going to come up roses. Right Now, let me just say something. The lie is not a straight up lie. It's not a total lie. What it is is a twisted truth. And I think that's what Satan does better than anything else. You know, when he comes with the just the direct straight up lies... We're like, hey, wait a minute. That ain't right. But when he takes the truth and just gives a little twist, warps it a little bit, bam, now he gets us. And what he's done is twisted the truth. If you come to Jesus Christ, he will give you lasting joy, peace, happiness, and life fulfillment at the end of the age. Two weeks ago, I I preached on this. I said, the kingdom of God has come, but it's not yet fully come. It's it's now, but not yet. Right? Do Do you remember that? The promise of a better eternity is why Christians can endure suffering that we go through. That's the truth. 
because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because I know He holds my future. Life is worth the living just because He lives. This is the truth. This is the truth. Church, it was through suffering that Jesus redeemed a lost and dying world. You can clearly see that in verse 9 and 10. It was through His suffering that He redeemed a lost and dying world. Somebody had to carry the weight of our sin. The justice of God demands that our sin be atoned for. It demands that death Pay that penalty. The Christian author C.S. Lewis wrote about this in the Chronicles of Narnia. Through the wardrobe. When Edward had given place to the white witch and had betrayed his friends. When he had sinned, his life became forfeit. And Aslan went in his place and suffered and died and redeemed. This is a picture of what Jesus Christ did on the cross at Calvary. He entered into the fray of humanity. He bore our sin and death. He who was free of sin was made sin, was made a sin offering that we might have eternal life. Suffering's got a big part of God's plan. It's got a big place in God's plan. That's why the writer of Hebrews encourages us in chapter 12, and we'll get to this at some point in the book, to run the race with endurance so that we can one day taste the eternal joy of our heavenly home. If God did not expect that we were going to have bad times, if God did not expect that there was going to be suffering and affliction, if God did not expect that there were going to be struggles, then why would He inspire the author of Hebrews to tell us to run the race with endurance? If Christianity is sitting down to a good meal and and having everything I need, hello, I don't need to be encouraged to endure that, I can do it pretty good. Right? But He says run it with endurance. I've never ran a marathon, praise the Lord. But I hear, this is what I hear, I hear that at a certain point you hit a wall. And you can't go on. And your body just says, I'm going to shut down right here. And they say, again, it must be true because I see guys finish, you know, they say that if you will push through that, 
that there comes this, this thing that we all, we all talk about a second win, but I guess they really get it when you're running a marathon, right? Now, I've never ran a marathon, but I've done some ruck marches. I've been dying. And I know that if you push through a ruck march, is familiar to those of us in the military. It's when you've got a you know, 45-pound rucksack on your back all your gear and you're you're out there carrying it and and here's the funny thing about it i've never done this when i was deployed i've only done this when we're back in the states for training i'm like why are we doing this man i never do it when we deploy you know but anyways it's good pt it's physical you know good physical training but anyhow you're out there and you're dying but if you push through all of a sudden you can make it i mean i've seen grown men and grown women nearly crying and then they and then they push through and, and there, it turns to joy when they get through the suffering. We have to run this race with endurance. But, you know, this begs the question, why suffering, right? Why suffering? I, I, hopefully I've anticipated some of your questions today. The first question is this, if God is all-powerful, then why does He allow suffering? Why not just eradicate it altogether? That's a good question, Steve. Thanks for asking. (laughs) All right? All right? At the time of creation, suffering was not a part of the plan. It wasn't part of of what we, we were to endure. God did not create us to suffer. God created us to have an intimate love relationship with Him. He put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the center of the garden to give us a choice. True love gives a choice. That's a lesson for another day. We chose to rebel against Him. And death came as a result of this rebellion. Now, if God were to eradicate suffering totally then he would, in effect, be removing the consequence of this severed relationship with him. This would then mean that there's no need for the restoration of man's relationship. That's that's a pretty heavy thought. But because of the choice of, of, of us rebelling against him, God says, this is what a severed relationship looks like. And if he removes that consequence... And then there's no need for restoration. Now, this naturally leads into the question that Keith just asked. Oops, need to go back. What the? Don't, let me, let me do it. Okay, put it up, Gavin. That's right. So, you say, okay, please, the next point. I understand that God should allow suffering. Here's the next point. We'll see if it ever comes up. I understand that God should allow suffering for those who are not redeemed, but why allow the redeemed to suffer as well? Great question, Keith. Great question. Thanks for asking. So let's talk about that, right? I understand that God should 
you know, should allow suffering for those who are not redeemed. But why allow the redeemed to suffer? I don't have time to fully answer that question today. I don't have time to fully answer that question today. But I can start pointing us in the right direction to answer that question. Okay? One reason that we suffer is so that we can personally personally relate to those who are also afflicted. Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and 2 Corinthians chapter 1 is going to be part of your homework this week. Okay? I want to explain this concept of relational suffering to you. Paul says something like this. If we suffer, it's for your sake, and if we're comforted, it's for your sake, so that we ourselves can be comforted with the very, or so that we can comfort you with the same comfort that we ourselves have been comforted with. So, this relational suffering, okay, Jerry's gone through cancer. I haven't ever, but Jerry's gone through cancer. And, and I've pushed through that, and, I've, and I've, I've went through the chemo. I've had all of these horrible things that have gone on, and I've, and I've struggled with this, and I've dealt with this, and then and I've made it through, and I'm on the other side of it. And then Jeff, who's not redeemed, just for the sake of the argument, or is redeemed, doesn't matter, either way, gets cancer. And now Jeff is starting to feel hopeless. Jeff is starting to feel like, does God really care? Is God really in this? And I can come alongside of Jeff and I can say, yes, Jeff, God is in it. I know it's horrible. I know you're feeling all these things. I know that the chemo is wiping you out. I know that that you're struggling with this whole thing. But take heart. Because Jesus has overcome. And there's a better day a-coming. And even... And if Jeff is a believer, you know, this is the truth, if Jeff is a believer, and even if your healing is for God to take you home to glory, where there's no more pain, where this is all gone, it's worth it. Relational suffering is a big deal. Relational suffering is a big, big deal. We need to be able to comfort others with the same comfort we ourselves have been comforted with. But how can we do that if every time something comes along in our life that is bad, we say, well, clearly this is in God's will. Clearly God wouldn't want me to suffer with this, and so I need to avoid this, I need to get out of it, and everything else. How how can that happen? How can we relate? You may be familiar with uh, with a particular uh, Christian rapper named KJ52. He's written a couple of songs to to the secular artist Eminem, and and in the songs that he's written to Eminem, he doesn't know if Eminem's ever listened to him. But it, but in one of them, he says, you know, I can relate to the struggles that Eminem had went through in his life. Because Eminem says, my life is like this because of how I grew up. And KJ52 says, I can relate, dude, because see, I've been there too. KJ52 grew up in the same kind of setting, same kind of life going on, all of these things. He said, look, I can relate, dude, because I've been there too. We can get angry at God and shake our fist at Him and say, why? This isn't fair. Or we, can, or we can say, God, what are you doing? 
What are you doing? Why, is, why am I going through this? What are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to do in my life? Another reason we suffer is so that we can become dependent on God. Paul also writes about this concept in, in the verses after the, the first day of homework. Right? He also writes about this in, the, in those verses, and so that's going to be part of the homework this week. Right? So that we can become dependent upon God. Our suffering can cause us to give God our middle finger and walk away, or we can allow it to drive us to the one who understands, to the one who can help us to cope with it, to the one who can help us to deal with it. We can get angry and walk away. We can get angry and curse God. We can get angry and do all these things, or we can say, no, I'm going to, to push into God. I'm going to allow this suffering, these trials in my life, to cause me to be more dependent on God. And here's the whole thing. Seen this happen time and time again. I'm going to veer off into a little something here. You're going to think, wow, why is this? Okay, listen. People come in all the time and say, help financially with my life. I don't understand why everything is falling apart. I don't understand why I can't pay my bills. I make more money now than I've ever made, but just stuff just keeps happening. My first question, you tithe? So far, nobody's ever said yes, and that's their story. And I know, and look, it's not about money. God uses money to teach us something about trust. I said, well, what do you want me to do about it? All I can do is put a Band-Aid on, our, on, on an arterial wound. You don't trust God. Tithing isn't about paying God off. Tithing is about saying, God, I trust you. And we have helped people who aren't tithers in our ministry, Sarah and I have, and we've told them, you're going to keep going through this for the rest of your life until you learn to trust him. He's trying to use your finances right now to teach you to trust him. And for every single person, every single person who has heard that lesson, received it, and said, I will step out in faith and start tithing then. They've never had another financial issue. I'm not saying stuff bad hadn't happened. But they've been able to make it through. God was using that financial suffering and all those things to teach them, trust me with all of this. Now, let me say this before I move on. If you don't tithe, keep coming to church here. I'm not going to beat you up over this. Okay? But it's the biblical right thing to do. Tithing says, I have this big stack of bills here, but God, I trust you. Before I move on, I'm going to tell you this. If this is striking a chord with you, I think somebody here today it's striking a chord with. I could be wrong. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to trust God in this. And at the offering at the end of the service, it's going to be the first time ever that you tithe. Write in the memo, tithe test. You need it back next week 
or the week after, we'll give it back to you. We're not after your money. We want you to trust God. Scripture says in Malachi chapter 3, it's the only thing in the Bible we can test him in. It is the only thing we can test him in. And friends, Malachi chapter 3 still applies to us today. Okay? So if you are feeling, if this is striking a chord with you, and you're like, you know what, I'm going to step out on faith here. Just write on there, tithe test. Our offering counters will make sure that they know that that amount, if you need it back in a couple weeks, come ask for it. We'll give it all back to you. It's not about your money. It's about God using these things to, to help you to trust him with his suffering and all these things. Sarah suffered. With, she got the flu, which turned into pneumonia a few years ago, and, and she had a white blood cell count that was so high that they said, we don't know why you're not in septic shock. We don't know why your organs aren't shutting down right now. Her testimony is that God taught her to trust him more through that. She didn't say, God, why didn't you, why weren't you there? Why didn't you show up? Why did you let me get sick? She goes, oh, my white blood cell, my white blood cell count so high that I should be dead right now. Home, oh, God's keeping his hand on me through this so that I can trust him more. Ask her. She'll tell you. A third reason we suffer is that it perfects our faith. Peter writes about this in, in 1 Peter chapter 1. It's going to be part of your homework this week. It perfects our faith. There's other places in Scripture where this is written about. James writes about it. When you go through trials, it depends on your translation if it says suffering there or not, but when you experience trials of various kinds, you know, you consider it all joy. How many of you, when some suffering comes along, are like, Woo! Praise you, Jesus! I got some trial! Yeah! Who does that? We're supposed to. <laughs> I know this is hard. I know this is a hard concept, but I mean, this is what the Scripture says. Consider it pure joy when you experience trials of various kinds, for by the testing of your faith brings about perseverance, character, and hope. I mean, this is a crazy concept that we're supposed to be like, thank you, God, that you trust me with this suffering. Thank you, God. I don't know what you're doing in this, but thank you. Now, here's the whole thing. I'm not saying that you got to be like, glory! You know, you don't, okay? But you say, Lord... I, I love you still. I still have joy. Let me just tell you something. And this is a concept that somebody's going to come up after church and, and say, Preacher, you're wrong. My challenge is to you, find it in Scripture. Okay? God does not care about whether or not you're happy. He cares about joy. And they are different, friends. Joy has its eyes fixed on the eternal. Happy has its eyes fixed on what's going on right in front of me right now. There are going to be days when we're happy. There are going to be days when we are grieving. But we can still be joyful. Knowing that the author and perfecter of our faith cares deeply. Joy has its scope focused on eternity. That's what Jesus cares about. 
So this isn't saying you got to do the happy dance. Yay, thank you. No, this is saying, no, I still have joy knowing that God is in control of this. And this stinks really bad. This is really awful what I'm going through right now. My uncle just recently had his entire stomach removed because of cancer that should have killed him. And as he's getting ready to go in to have his stomach removed, he's telling me, I don't know why God's doing this, but I know he's doing it. Now, we've had to remind him of that after (laughs) surgery, you know. But he knew, God, you're doing something, and this is horrible, and I don't understand what's going on. I don't don't know why this is going on, but I love you, and I trust you, and and for whatever the reason, you're doing this inside of my life, and and I'm going to let that be enough. I'm going to let you perfect my faith. I'm going to let you keep working inside of me. There are other reasons as well inside of Scripture why we suffer, why God allows suffering. But the main point is this, suffering, whether we like it or not, is part of God's redemptive plan. Suffering is part of God's redemptive plan. It says that right here in this passage of Scripture, and it says it all over the Bible. It's part of His redemptive plan. So rather than seeking to escape the suffering, we should start asking Jesus, Jesus, what are you doing through this? Now some of you are skeptical about asking Jesus questions like this. But I want to remind you, Scripture tells us that if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask, and God will give it. You can go to God and you can say, God, why? I want to correct a a theological issue that is horribly going around our country right now. Here's the theological issue, this horrible theological issue that says you can't question God. Who said? Where does it say that? I see the scripture says to ask him, God, what's this about? I'm struggling to understand this. I'm mad. I'm mad right now. I'm hurt. Did you turn your back to me? We see this, these kind of questions all throughout Scripture. Why have you turned your back on me? Why have, you, why have you taken your spirit away from me? All of these things, we see these questions over and over and over again. Yet somehow, in our twisted little warped American version of Christianity, we come up with this concept that we can't question God. Yes, you can. It's gone so far that only, in, only recently have I heard pastors and, and teachers start teaching this correctly. I, how many times have you heard Gideon be used as a bad example? I've heard it a ton. Have you ever heard Gideon used as a bad example, what he did there when he laid the fleece out before God? Oh, Gideon's not trusting God. He's not doing all of those things. Uh, friends, when we get to Hebrews chapter 11, Gideon's listed as one of the faithful. 
I've heard sermon after sermon after sermon. Gideon was bad because he questioned God. Gideon, and this was a, by the way, a product in Gideon's life more than just the fleece. Like God came to him in a dream and said, now go down here against the, I want to say it was, uh, I don't know if it's the Midianites, I believe it was the Midianites. Go down against the Midianites here. And, and do, and I'm going to give them into your hand. And, and Gideon's like, I, I don't know, God. Am I really hearing you in this? And he says, well, take your servant Pura with you. And take him down there and spy out the camp. And listen. And he goes down there and he hears this guy tell about this dream about this barley loaf come rolling in and messing everything up. And the other guy interprets his dream. He's like, man, that's Gideon, dude. Right? I mean, Gideon makes the list of the faithful and he had questions for God. God's okay with us asking questions. We say, God, I trust you. Now help me understand. God, I believe that you're still in this. Now show me how. God, I'm going through this horrible trial, this horrible suffering, and I don't understand, and I want to give up. I want to just break down and cry. I want to quit moving. So what's up, dude? I mean, God can take that from you. He can take that from you. He knows already what's going on inside of you. So it's not like you're keeping your questions from Him anyways, but He's waiting on you to ask in order to give you the answers. Some of you who are parents, you've walked in the room before, you've seen your kid, they got, the, they got their hands behind their back, they're looking at you like... <laughs> you see the crayon all over the wall. Right? You know what's up. And you're just waiting on them to bring their hands around and show you so that you can deal with it. This is what God's doing. He sees the mess. He sees our struggles. He sees our trials. He's just waiting on us to bring our hands around and say, here it is, God. Take it. But pastor, doesn't that make me immature in my faith? Oh, no, it doesn't. No, it's a sign of maturity, not immaturity. I'm not saying, I want you to understand this. I'm not saying that there's never, we never have those days where we're, where we're like, oh, if I was any more blessed, there'd have to be two of me. I mean, I understand we have those days, okay? But let's just be realistic with one another. How many, how many, how often? How many days in a year do we, are we like that, right? Not very often. God knows that. He's, he, and he wants to be involved in the mess. That's why he sent Jesus Christ to redeem the mess. But I don't think as Christians we do a very good job of saying that God's in the suffering. I don't think as Christians we do a good job of, of, of pointing people to Jesus in the midst of suffering. I have a friend of mine, she's a pastor's wife. She was suffering from some physical afflictions, got some boils, and, and, and people had told her, what's well, because of your sin? Now, in one sense, they're right. Sickness and disease didn't come into the world until sin entered the world. And there are certainly times where we go and sin it up and have a consequence on our physical body because of that. 
But you really think that it's because of her sin that she struggled with this chronic affliction her whole entire life that God's meeting his justice out on her? Didn't he do that on the cross on Jesus? Right? But, but see, we're not very good at helping people with this. We're not very good at pointing people to this. And so REM steps into the picture and they, they try to deal with it with human knowledge. Everybody hurts. Everybody cries sometime. So hold on, hold on, hold on. And their solution, because they don't know any better, is take comfort in your friends. It was the lyrics of the song, take comfort in your friends. They're, they're, they're this far away from being right. We are to take comfort in our friend. The author and perfecter of our faith. And we are as friends supposed to go comfort others. But we have got to start giving people hope. We need to start learning from our suffering. Perhaps God is teaching us to try to cry out to Him in prayer. Perhaps He's allowing us to be able to relate to others who are suffering. Perhaps He is growing us in our faith. Perhaps one of the myriad of other scriptural reasons for suffering. Are we going to let it defeat us? Or are we going to recognize that everybody hurts? And we need to go to Jesus and find out how do we deal with it? How do we grow in this? So there's your homework for the week. Because I know I've just preached a message that said suffering is part of God's plan. So I better have some scripture that says this idea without me contriving it. So as you read these scriptures, you probably want to read the preceding chapter and the one after it so that you can see if I'm taking it out of context. Monday, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Tuesday, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. Wednesday, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. Thursday, Romans 5, 1 through 5. Friday, James 1, 2 through 4. And Saturday, Romans 8, 18 through 25. If what I'm saying is true, if I'm delivering the message of God to you today, then God will bear this out in His Word. Then God will bear this out in His Word. So read it and see. Because I think as Christians, we have to be able to deal with suffering in a different way than the world is dealing with it. Don't you? Let's pray. Father, this concept of suffering is a difficult, difficult concept. Lord, I, I just want to tell you right now, I, I don't really like it. I don't like that you let us suffer. I don't like that this is part of your redemptive plan. I, I'm not real impressed. But God, you didn't ask me to be impressed. What you asked me to do was to trust you, to love you, to serve you even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of the trials. And so, Jesus, that is what we commit to do today. We commit to follow you. 
We commit to love you and to seek to understand what you're trying to teach us through suffering. And we ask that everything in our life that we do will bring you glory and honor. Amen.